Hopefully my mic doesn't clip out again. That caught me a little off guard. I meant to make you sit down before the prayer, but, uh, um, but anyway, alas, here we are. Well, if you would, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're taking a little bit break from the Gospels. Uh, just to give you an idea, over the next couple of Sundays, uh, next Sunday I think Pastor Gary will be preaching, and then Pastor Brian, and so instead of starting the parables of the kingdom today and then taking two weeks off, I thought we would do some side study, and, and, and particularly we've been focusing on the Holy Spirit over the last couple of Sundays, and even mentioning terms such as the indwelling of the Spirit and the, the filling of the Spirit. And, and so I thought it might be helpful uh, this morning to do maybe a little bit more of a doctrinal study uh, for us to get our mind around it, slow down, let these truths sink in a little bit deeper and, and, and help us think about this. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures back in the sound booth, we do have Bibles. Feel free to grab one of those and, and feel free to uh, let that be a gift from us to you if you don't own a copy of God's Word. But we're in Ephesians, so if you're in Matthew, just keep going to the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, okay? And uh, if you get to Philippians, you've gone uh, one book too, too far. Well, like I said, over the past couple of Sundays, we've been in the Gospels, we've been in Matthew chapter 12, and particularly looking at and fleshing out this idea of blessed is the one who's not offended by Christ. And he concludes uh, this, this section of the Gospel, particularly highlighting and alluding to the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. And, and over the last two Sundays, if you've been with us, we've on the one hand learned that resisting the promptings of the Spirit is detrimental to your soul. It is dangerous, especially uh, for those who, who do not know Christ and you're being convicted and, and called to come to Christ. If you resist that prompting, uh, Jesus tells us that, that you can't be assured that that prompting will ever come again. And really why we must heed these things is because, as we've learned, it's only by the Spirit that anyone can even come to Jesus, that anyone can even see the kingdom and have their sins forgiven. So to resist the Spirit is effectively to cut oneself off from the wellspring of life. It's a non-starter. So that was two or three weeks ago. And then the other hand, we also learn that, that one must be indwelt by the Spirit and subsequently filled by the Spirit, or as we learned last Sunday, something else will fill your life. You can't be neutral. If you're an empty house, eventually something will fill it, either an unclean spirit, as Jesus talks about, or the Holy Spirit. And really, what was that meaning? Well, it was talking about uh, avoiding having a, a, a kind of a surface-level religious experience whereby one is seemingly delivered from sins. Maybe they have escaped a certain lifestyle. They've been freed from things that have had dominion over them, but they're still void of the Spirit. They haven't come all the way. They haven't given their heart to Christ. And Jesus warns that those who are just a shell of righteousness but haven't been transformed from the inside out, that actually that, that type of uh, situation will result in great spiritual disaster. Jesus actually says the latter state of that person will be worse than the first. 
Meaning it would have been better for them to have just never had that religious experience than what will occur. And those are kind of frightening things to think about. But what Jesus is making abundantly clear, and I would argue the whole New Testament uh, echoes this, hence why we're going to be in Ephesians this morning, is that those who are truly redeemed, those who, who have had their sins forgiven, who have been cleansed, who have been washed, must have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. That, that, those are equal signs. Those who have been forgiven are because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And those who do not have the Holy Spirit have not been forgiven. They have not been cleansed. Paul says it this way to the Romans. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, that's the Holy Spirit, dwelling in them does not belong to him. There's no sense by which you're belonging to Christ but devoid of the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you belong to Christ. Are you, are you following and so this raises an important question for us, and, and one that, I, that I, I know that some of you have been asking, especially over the last couple of Sundays, well, how do you know if the Spirit dwells in you then? <laughs> if it's so essential, and, and, and how, do I, how do I know? In other words, maybe this is the, the question that you might be wrestling with. Well, how can I have assurance? How can I make sure I'm not an empty shell, a house that's cleaned up on the outside but void on the inside? That's a practical question that I'm sure we've all answered or asked ourselves at some point in time. Well, well, there have been plenty of places in the scripture that we could go to. We could go to Romans 8. Romans 8 answers this question, where Paul exhorts the church to live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. He says, those who live according to the flesh, well, they die. And he's not just talking about physical death. In Galatians, Paul talks about it as well. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. And he says uh, that we're called to walk in the Spirit, and those who walk in the Spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And he, he contrasts two ways of living, if you will. Or we can come to our text this morning, Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, where Paul commands us to be filled with the Spirit. And what I want to argue this morning is that those who are indwelt by the Spirit, if you took all kind of Paul's language in Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians, he, he's talking about the same thing. Those who are indwelt by the Spirit will live by, walk in, and be filled with the Spirit. They're, they're just different ways of saying the same thing. And this might be the, the overarching idea that you want to come away with today. The life yielded to the Spirit will be shaped by the Spirit. The life yielded to the Spirit will be shaped by the Spirit. And so it is this fellowship that I want us to talk about this morning. This fellowship the believer shares with the Holy Spirit that actually grants you assurance. Grants you assurance. Maybe you, you have a relationship that's strained. Maybe someone's asked you, how's that relationship going? And you haven't spoken to that person in years. Well, what's your response? I, I don't know, right? But if you had been in constant fellowship or renewed fellowship with them, well, then you'll have a much clearer answer. Well, it's similar with the Spirit. If, if, how do you know the Spirit of God's dwelling in you? You'll be filled with the Spirit. You'll be walking in the Spirit. And if you're not, if you're walking going to the flesh, doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have the Spirit. 
But you won't have the assurance. If you're living in sin, you shouldn't have assurance. And so we're going to kind of unpack this a little bit more this morning. And so let's look in Ephesians chapter 5. Short passage, and really where I'm going to focus on is that phrase in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. But I think it'll be helpful for us to look at it all in context. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This morning, I want us to dive into this text a little bit. Dive in. What, What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And this is my prayer for us. As a church, this is my prayer for, as your pastor, something that I regularly am praying for you, is that we would continue to yield ourselves, continue to yield our lives to the Holy Spirit's control so that we would live wisely in this world and understand the will of God. That's really my prayer for us, that we would walk in the Spirit, that we would walk dependent upon the Spirit, that we would walk wisely, able to discern the will of the Lord in this world. And I hope to help us unpack what does all that mean. And the the means by which I hope to do that today is going to be a little bit more, um, I don't know, less artistic, let's put it this way. I've got three questions for us. Number one, what is the filling of the Spirit? I want to answer that question. What is the filling of the Spirit? Number two, how are we filled with the Spirit? And number three, what characterizes the filling of the Spirit? So three questions. What is the filling of the Spirit? How are you filled with the Spirit? And three, what characterizes those who are filled with the Spirit? Let's just look at the first one. It's probably helpful as we're thinking about what's the filling of the Spirit to maybe distinguish it from from other terms that are related but distinct from it. And In particular, I'm talking about the indwelling or what's sometimes called the baptism of the Spirit. Have you ever heard of that? The baptism of the Spirit? A lot of things come to your mind. Whoa, what kind of craziness is going to go on? They're they're slain in the Spirit or something like that. I want to argue that actually... This is not as, as, as maybe extravagant as you might initially think it is. If you want, let's go to Acts chapter 1. That's to your left. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples before he's ascended to the Father in heaven. And he's, about, he's telling them what's about to happen. Pentecost is what's getting ready to happen. But I want you to notice how he describes it. And this is actually a repetition of even the beginning of Jesus' ministry where he he says uh, these similar things. And in Acts chapter 1, particularly uh, verse 5 is what I want you to, to look at here. 
Jesus reminds his disciples that John, he's talking about John the Baptist, John baptized them with water out by the Jordan. You were baptized with water. But he tells them that you would be baptized, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus earlier says, you've been baptized with water uh, by John. I have, but I will come and I will baptize you with the Spirit and fire. This is, we're about to see what all that means. And and what he's referring to is is Acts chapter 2 and what is called the, the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit is poured out in fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel upon all the people of God. All the people of God. And at this time, there's 110. At this time, it's very small. But this is what happens. They are baptized. They are immersed, if you will. They are indwelt by the Spirit. The Spirit is poured out from heaven upon them. Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away, for then the Helper will come. This is what he's talking about. This is the Holy Spirit coming by which God's Spirit is now sent by Christ to dwell in the heart of every believer. And I want you to see, if you go on to Peter, in his sermon at the end of Acts 2, as all this phenomenon has happened, the people are cut to the heart. Those who are watching, and they are convicted of their sins, and they say, what should we do in light of this? In other words, how can we be saved? And Peter tells them in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're baptized. It's a, it's a visualization of your being baptized with the Spirit. Your baptism in water is an external manifestation of an inward reality where the Spirit has resided in you and has washed you of all of your sins. That's why those pictures are there. That's what the baptism of the Spirit means. And so when a person believes the gospel, what what has happened? They are indwelt by the Spirit. They're baptized by the Spirit, whereby they are now united to Christ and forgiven of all their sins. This is what the Scripture calls elsewhere the doctrine of regeneration. Your heart is changed. You're taking that heart of stone and it's now been giving you a heart of flesh. Jesus tells Nicodemus it's being born again. Born of the Spirit. Water in the Spirit. And so the indwelling or baptism of the Spirit, this is what I want you to understand here, is a one-time but lasting event. It only happens once. Some, there's confusion out there. Oh, no, you've got to be baptized multiple times in the Spirit. No. People are only baptized in the Spirit once. And if you're baptized in the Spirit, you're indwelt by the Spirit. The Spirit never leaves you. The Spirit dwells upon you. So if we're back in Ephesians, Paul references this one-time yet lasting event just with different language. And if you're back in Ephesians in chapter 1, look at what he says. And this is after a a litany of the blessings that we have in Christ that he's listing off. And in chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, he, he turns to the Holy Spirit as a gift from the Father. 
blessings that have come from us from heaven. And, and he says in verse 13, in him, that's Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that's, that's when you came to faith. What happened? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's the baptism of the Spirit. That's regeneration. You were given the Spirit. He's just using a different analogy, if you will. You're sealed, you're kept, you're secured. You understand that? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so you're sealed once, right? You don't seal things multiple times. You seal it until you're going to use it. Well, we're sealed until we acquire possession of the inheritance. So this is a one-time event in the believer's life, but it has lasting eternal consequences. The Spirit is given to you, resides in you, and keeps you. That's the indwelling, the baptism of the Spirit, or the sealing of the Spirit. And so since if you're in Christ, and you'll see Paul even say this in Romans 8, if you want to go there, if you're in Christ, the Spirit dwells in you. He has this qualification. And that's where I want to qualify. If you're in Christ, the Spirit dwells in you. Holy Spirit dwells in you. And having been given the Spirit, He resides in us. And then the Scripture calls us then to be filled with the Spirit. And that's where we're going to kind of now be able to define this a little bit more. Because you have the Spirit, if you're a Christian, you are now called to be filled with the Spirit, whereby you yield your lives completely under His power and influence. So the filling of the Spirit is another way of saying living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, the analogies that Paul uses. So whereas the indwelling or baptism of the Spirit is a one-time and lasting event, the filling of the Spirit is an ongoing phenomenon. It's an ongoing process that should shape the lives of the believer. So let's come back to our main text, okay? I think we'll, we'll park here for a while. So let's look at Ephesians 5.18, kind of with those terms in, in mind. Paul exhorts the Ephesians, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That is, that is senselessness. It is, it is a lack of control. But be filled with the Spirit. He's making a contrast here. And now he's already told them, you have the Spirit. Okay. Now he's, in light of that reality, live in it. That's what he's getting at. You're dwelt by the Spirit, so be filled by the Spirit. And I know those terms kind of cognitively don't work in our mind. That's why we have to unpack it a little bit. But let's consider the contrast. Well, what does it mean to get drunk? What happens when one is drunk? Well, you yield your mind, your body to the influence and control of the alcohol, right? And it affects you. It shapes you. And under this influence, what is going on? You're not living according to reality, right? If you've ever been to a sporting event, you can be around people who are not in reality uh, at times. They've had too much to drink, and you, you see that. And it has lots of consequences. They're, they're often extreme in their, their expressions. So they're, they're overly joyed or they're incredibly depressed. 
they're overly exuberant or they become very angry. And they are just on these swings. It's a, it's a depressant, alcohol is. And as a depressant, what does it do? It reduces a person's ability to think rationally. And so they're all over the place on extremes. And it distorts their judgment. Now, why does Paul pick this vice? Why does he pick this sin? Is he, he's not really trying to go after drunkenness. He's assuming this, that, that drunkenness is a sin. But why does he pick this one? Well, because drunkenness serves as a, as a vivid illustration, because we've all seen it. Maybe you've experienced it. It's a vivid illustration that contrasts what it looks like to be under the influence of the world versus the influence of the world to come, the Spirit. One's living according to reality, one's not. One person is escaping, one person's living. I mean, that's why people get drunk, right? To escape reality. Escape. I want joy because I don't have it, so I need to escape. And Paul's actually saying, believer, don't escape reality, embrace reality, and you will find joy. And that's where it gets to at the end of this passage. The one who truly embraces the Spirit knows how to live it's really what I've been trying to communicate through the gospel and, and what it means to walk with Christ and following Christ. The Spirit enables us to have this abundant life in him. And so one's life is either living according to reality, that is, according to the Spirit, who's able to see the world rightly, rational faculties are intact, and the other one does not. That's the contrast is not so much drunkenness. Drunkenness is just an expression of living according to the flesh. That doesn't mean that everyone who walks in the flesh is a drunk. But it's a vivid illustration to try to get our minds around what it's like when we choose to live under the flesh and put ourselves under its faculties. That's what he's getting after. And you and I, we still suffer from the world's influence, don't we? Every day we feel that tug of the flesh breathing down our neck, right? And, Paul, and so as the believer who's indwelt, here's what's different than when you weren't a believer. You can engage the battle, right? As an unbeliever, you just go with the flesh. That's who you are. Well, now Paul's saying you're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. You're indwelt, that one-time lasting event. So therefore... Live according to the Spirit. Walk according to the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Let your life be filled with it. Do you understand? You see the exhortation that's happening there? And so there's moments, this is why I want you to see kind of distinction between indwelling and filling. There's moments when you and I give in to our temptations, right? And in those moments, we're not walking according to the Spirit. We're not being filled in the Spirit. We're not living according to the Spirit. We're walking according to the flesh. And so you can see how this is an ongoing reality, but it's not like you're just on a, a perfect incline to glory. It's a battle. But it is a battle that everyone who's indwelt with the Spirit will engage in. And so we're not living... When we're in the flesh, we're not living according to reality. But when we're in the spirit, we're actually living according to the world to come, the reality of the world to come. And so you can see that sometimes you're walking in the spirit, sometimes you're not. 
But this doesn't mean you lose the Spirit. Okay, that's one other point I want to make. I think people think, oh, the Spirit left me. No, the Spirit never leaves you if you're in Christ. This filling, your yielding to Him fluctuates, but He never leaves you. You always have the Spirit. And you never have more of Him than you did, and you never have less of Him than you did. If you're in Christ, you never lose the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Yet the fullness is about how much you're yielding your heart, your mind, and your soul to him. So this leads us to the next question. Hopefully that's cleared up that a little bit. I know there's more questions out there, but you want to go home today, right? Okay, all right. <clears throat> how then are we filled with the Spirit? Okay, how, how are we filled with the Spirit? Well, Paul connects the filling of the Spirit with Notice in verses 15 through 17, with walking or understanding the will of the Lord. Let's look in verses 15 through 16. Again, look carefully then how you walk. You can even see he blends that terminology where he's done it elsewhere for familiar. Walk in the spirit, walk in, do not walk in the flesh. Be careful how you walk. This time the contrast is not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you know what he's doing here? He's saying you must take initiative. Actually, all these things look carefully. Understand. Be filled. They're all commands. Calling us to something. Calling us out of passivity, if you will. Calling us to be taking initiative and taking care in how we're living, how we're walking. And in doing so, he's pressing you with a question. No, he doesn't ask a question, but I'm, I'm, he is pressing you implicitly. Who is shaping you? What is influencing you? The wisdom of the world, which is foolishness, or the wisdom of God? What shapes you? And the point is, if you're not looking carefully, you got your answer. If you're not thinking about it, well, I can tell you, he says, the world's shaping you. That's what's happening. And you have to go against the grain. You can't go with the current, if you will. And we need to realize we are being shaped. That's what Jesus is talking about last Sunday with the house that is clean but is empty on the inside. You can't be neutral. You will be filled with something. You will be impacted. You will be shaped. The question is, it will be the Spirit of God or something else? And so he tells us, Paul here in our text, says, take great care in how you're living. Why? Why does he say you need to take great care? Because the days are what? They're evil. They're not neutral. The world's not neutral, and yet I think many of us treat it as if it is. Oh, it's all innocent. Everything's neutral. It just depends on what you do with it. No, Paul just tells you it's evil. Now, that doesn't mean that everything is as bad as it could be, all those types of things. But here's what he, recognize there is a power, a ruler of this age who is the evil one. And he is after you. 
And he is, there is a spiritual dynamic at work in the message of the world. The whole world is trying to shape you after it. Therefore, walk carefully, taking advantage of most opportunities, some opportunities. What does he say? Every opportunity. Making the best use of the time. You need to think about that. Making the best use. So how do we walk or live wisely in the world? Well, he tells us in verse 17. Not to be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's what, I think there's a connection between the filling of the Spirit and understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, what does it mean to not be foolish? It's to be ignorant, right? Don't be ignorant of the will of God. Understand it. Understand it. That's the difference between the, the one who's living like the world and the one who's not. And it's not, notice the foolishness there of not understanding is more like ignorance. That's passivity. That's neutrality. I'm just ignorant. I'm not against the will of God. I'm just ignorant of it. And he says, well, you're a fool. You see, you're not, there's, either you are or you aren't. There's no in-between. And so we don't want to be ignorant to God's will. We want to be wise. We want to understand it. Now, understanding is not merely a cognitive thing. Yes, you, you need to have knowledge. You need to know the content of God's will. But again, have this picture of shaping. What is shaping you? This evil age or the age to come? And so understanding is embracing him. And his picture being filled by the Spirit, yielded to the Spirit, being shaped by his Spirit. It's what Solomon's writing to his son in Psalm 2, seeking it and finding it and the wisdom guarding your life. Shaping the paths that you will walk, guarding you from wickedness and evil. Things that they never say, you know, Hey, by the way, I'm evil and I'm here to destroy your life. Right? They never do. They always say, hey, I'm awesome and I'm here to make you awesome. Right? I'm happy and I'm here to bring happiness to you. And Paul says, don't live in a virtual world, a fake world, a facade. Live according to reality. And reality is knowing God's will. And so I want to show you how understanding God's will connects with the filling of the Spirit. So go back to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Now remember, he's already talked about how we have the Spirit. Sealed us, if you're in Christ. But I want you to now see how he prays for them in light of that reality. And this prayer comes in verse 16. Ephesians 1, 16, I'm just going to go to verse 19. Paul tells the Ephesians, in light of that, the blessings that they have, including the gift of the Spirit, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And what's he praying? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Hey, wait, I thought we already had the Spirit. Said so the distinction between the indwelling and the filling. 
okay? That he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? What is being filled with the Spirit in understanding the will of God? It's knowing God's redemptive plan for your life. What is God's goal for you? Do you get that? What is the hope, the true hope, reality for you? You get that? Not a false hope, a real hope. That you would know it and you would understand its power because if you will, it'll change your life. Change the way you live. So what is the will of God? Kind of dancing around that, right? That's a whole sermon, but I want to simplify it to you and show you how you can press into it, hopefully from this day forward. Look in verse 4 of chapter 1. We're seeing God's will expounded. He tells us that God the Father, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that. Do you see there? Why did God choose us, save us? Don't get hung up on some of that. Just why did God save us? that we should be holy and blameless before him. Keep going. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his what? What? Will. What is God's will for your life? That you are holy and blameless. That you would be holy and blameless. So often I see Christians living life wondering, what's God's will? What is God's purpose for me? Where do I fit in? What should I do? And they are like children tossed to and fro by the waves of every whim. And it's right here. And this is how the Spirit fills you, by the way, communicates the Word to you, so that you know God's will. And it's right here. God's will for you. you want to, today you get to find out God's will for your life. Is that you would become more like Jesus. That's God's will. That's God's purpose. Period. What does God want for me, Chase? That you be holy. You'd be like Jesus. Hey, you know what? What about this situation? What's the end game? That you would be holy and blameless. What's going on at work? I, I don't know this, but I do know this is God's will for your life, that you will become holy and blameless. Hey, I'm having trouble at home with my kids. What's going on? What does God want us to learn? That you would depend on Christ and grow in Christ. You'd become like him. Yeah, 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 no, no. What's God's will? You see how we easily... And now you might be thinking, well, that, that's not really practical. That's not really helpful to me. So let me help you kind of unpack that. Let me ask you a question. This is rhetorical, so please do not answer out loud, okay? Think about any decision that you make in life. 
These can be big or small, but usually we're talking about big things here. Are you thinking about whether this decision will make you more like Jesus or not? Or is that just not on the equation? I don't think about it. I'm ignorant. I'm living ignorantly to the will of God. I just make decisions. And what Paul would say, you're just living according to the flesh. You're doing what you feel, what you think. And it might all be, hey, I've just thought about it, and I think this is great, or I just want it. Okay, he's asking you to have one more step. Is this going to make me more like Jesus? Because that's God's will for my life, not whatever this thing is, primarily. All other things are avenues to this big goal. And if you don't see that, be careful here. If you don't see that, you're going to struggle to find joy in your life. Because everything's about those other things. Everything's about escaping. Can I get out of this? Because I don't understand God's will for my life, right? So I want you to think about this. Just because a decision may not be sinful on the surface, I mean, I don't think any of us are saying, oh, that's sinful, I'm going to do it. Maybe we do, but by and large, that's not how we're operating. But I think we do operate, well, it's not sinful, I can do it. Paul says this to Corinthians, I, I, you know, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. Well, what's, what's the beneficial? Is this going to make me more like Jesus? And, and I think I'm, I'm guilty of this too. We don't think about it. We're just worried about, huh, is it sin? No, I can do it. And actually, Paul's calling us to think carefully how we walk, not ignorantly. Now, this doesn't mean that God isn't gracious. We all don't do this perfectly, right? We're not fully yielded to the Spirit. We're, we're still battling the flesh. And that won't be to glory. And God's gracious, and he, he even works through our ignorant and foolish decisions to keep us. We're sealed, right? We're still sealed. But there's a fullness that, and a joy that comes when we walk wisely. So let me just address this, and we are going to finish this. How, how do you then discern God's will? Have you ever wondered that? Okay, where do I go? I don't have this on the screen, so you might want to take notes. i got four, four ways, real quick. This is a sermon for another time, but I'll give you the points, the outline. First of all, what does the Scripture say about the matter under consideration? And don't presume you already know. You might, but you might not. What does the Scripture say about the matter? And for instance, if it's sin, boom, it's out. doesn't matter how you feel. Doesn't matter how awesome you think it's going to make you feel. If it's sin, clear, boom, you don't move forward. It's not God's will. But sometimes, and usually, it's not that clear, right? Life's not that easy. So second, what do the most godly people in your life think? Proverbs says, wisdom is found in the abundance of counselors. And those counselors are godly people. Other people who have the Spirit dwelling in them. It's actually why we're to be in community. So we can 
wrestle. Hey, I'm battling with this. What should I do? I've got a major life decision. Did you check with anybody? Not in the sense of I need everybody's permission. No, I'm actually seeking wisdom. Hey, I'm going to pursue this. I want to become more like Christ. Speak into my life. I don't think most of us do this. Third, that's the third one. What does, will this decision make me more like Jesus? Now, that, you can see how something maybe neutral cannot, can actually cause you to not be like Jesus. Because it draws your heart, your emotion, it tugs, it shapes you in a way that seems to be pulling you. You're more infatuated with this than you are Jesus. And you, You've got you to go away from that, even though another person could be in the same position, and yet it doesn't have that pull and tug on them. This is why you must walk carefully. You need to understand and discern. This is the guiding of the Spirit. And so if you can go through all those things, you have green lights. Yes, it's not sin. Uh, I have all the people who are godly in my life agree that it's not sin, and it'd be good for me, and I think it'll make me more like Jesus, or it won't hinder my walk with Jesus. Well, that's when you can do fourth. Well, do whichever one you desire. But I think we always jump to four first and skip the first three. I just want to do it. And I haven't thought carefully about it. Do you see why Paul says walk carefully? See, look carefully how you walk. All right, let's close with three. Third question, what characterizes the filling of the Spirit? What then characterizes, what happens when you are walking in Christ, walking in the Spirit, you're discerning the will of God? What is kind of the fruit, if you will? Well, if you're thinking about the, the work of the Spirit, and even in Acts, the manifestation of the Spirit is, is different sometimes. Even in periods of history, we, we sometimes see great flashes of, of wonder. Signs and wonders occur. I, I think that often happens when new territory is being, gospel territory is being taken. That's why I think you see some more of the, the tongues and, and, and other things on the mission field more regularly than, say, you do here amongst us. But that's, again, another sermon. But what I want you to see here is that is that Paul is telling us what the Spirit-filled church looks like. And sometimes we think, oh, the Spirit-filled church is going to be flashy. It's going to have the great phenomenon. I one time heard a pastor say the Spirit has been absent from their church for a generation. And what he was talking about was that the, 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 the tongues and healings weren't happening. But, and I'm not making a statement on that right now. But what I want you to see here is that, that Paul lists what will happen. What always happens, no matter what church you're in, if they are in Christ and they're dwelt by the Spirit, you will see these things characterize them. And what does he, does he say? Well, he has three marks. First, they're marked by praise. Second, they're marked by contentment. And third, they're marked by mutual submission. Let's just look at those quickly, and then we'll wrap it up. Look in verse 19. They're marked by praise. What happens when you're filled with the Spirit? You, you start addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. 
Spirit-filled Christians love to sing. Have you ever paid attention to what's going on on Sunday morning? <laughs> what's happening? We're singing. We're singing, as the lyrics say, like never before, right? That's one of the things that has just encouraged me over the years. I have seen us grow. I've seen my family grow. I've seen me grow. I love to sing more. Why is that? Because I think the Lord is growing us in understanding his will. We're growing. The word of Christ, as Paul says, Colossians 3.16, is dwelling in us richly. And it's filling us up and it bubbles out of our mouth, right? There's joy. There's praise. And that doesn't mean everybody's life is perfectly clean, right? But yet we are walking in the Spirit. Are you walking in the Spirit? Do you love to be here? Or could you take it or leave it? That's going to be the difference between the one who's walking in the Spirit who loves to sing. Now notice you're singing, you're singing to one another. We experience that joy. There's, 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 there are living stones, as Paul says, as, as we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God, and we are singing and being encouraged, and it is, it is building up one another, but it's also coming out of our heart, a melody to the Lord. No matter what your tune is, what your pitch is, whether you can stand here behind a mic or not, this is what happens. That's the Spirit-filled church. Number two, Spirit-filled Christian is marked by contentment. And that's what he's getting at in verse 20. Giving thanks sometimes? No. Always. For some things? No. For everything. To God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. When you're walking in the Spirit, you're yielding yourself to the Spirit, there's going to be a contentment that comes. What's contentment? It's being grateful. I know that God has supplied everything I need for life and godliness. He has blessed me with every blessing from the heavenly places. What are those? He adopted me as his child. He redeemed me in Christ, and he sealed me with his spirit. Those things grip my soul. And no matter what's happening in my life, those things don't change. I have an inheritance laid up for me because of what God has done for me. There's a gratefulness. But when we aren't walking in the Spirit, we'll forget that, right? We'll become bitter, joyless, ungrateful. We're somehow wronged. Everything's not working out. God's against me. The world's against me. My church is against me. And we become totally insular. We don't live in reality. But what's reality? God has been good to us, right? He's been good to us. Third, the spirit-filled Christian lives in mutual submission with other Christians. What does that mean? There's a humility that marks us. That I want to serve you and you want to serve me. Why? Because that's how we know Christ. What's God's will that we become more like Christ? Well, how did we know Christ? Well, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as I'm growing in that truth of who Jesus is, I will be growing and exuding that service toward others. I won't be so self-centered. I'm, submitting, I'm gladly submitting my life to you. Because I consider you more important than myself. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters, right? That Christ loved us while we were his enemy. And when we get our mind wrapped around that, that reality, oh, it'll change how you live. I know we're out of time. What's this filling of the Spirit all about? It's about being shaped by Christ and his loving rule. That's what it's about. And as we are yielded to him, he changes us. We praise him. We're marked by contentment. And we're humble. That's the spirit-filled church. Now, there might be more things that occur, but nothing less than those things. And I'm encouraged, brothers and sisters, as, as, as one of your pastors Are we where we should be? Well, we're never going to be. But I can see us growing in those things. I can see us growing, and that is confidence and should bring us great assurance that we do have the Spirit. Okay? All right, let's pray and sing one more song. Sing loud, right? Sing loud. And then we will be dismissed.